As we mentioned just a moment ago that we have reserved some time at the end of our service today in order to have an opportunity to respond in worship to the Lord's call. He always calls first and then we respond in worship and so that's what we're going to be doing today and the reason for that is that's what we're talking about today. Um, we've been working through this series called Inclined, and even as we do that, the, the goal is, as we're talking about these various spiritual uh, disciplines, is that we're talking about these ancient pathways which increase, increase our knowing and loving of Christ Jesus. Um, and so we've talked about uh, some of these different things. We've talked about uh, reading scripture two weeks ago. Last week we talked about prayer, and that in each of these, what god is doing in us as he is increasing our knowing of christ jesus and the power of his resurrection our loving jesus and and reliance upon his sacrifice for us that that's what these spiritual disciplines are for that they might incline our hearts towards him ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 2 says that the wise man's heart inclines him to the right and and the fool's heart to the left everybody's inclined one direction or another we all have inclinations and predispositions the question is what are we inclined towards and so these spiritual disciplines are about knowing christ and loving christ and as we know and love christ our hearts are more and more inclined towards him and so it's appropriate that we're going to save some time for worship today because that's what we're talking about as a spiritual discipline and just to mention what i'm talking about in relation to that like there's <laughs> you could we could go forever just talking about worship um because of the fact i mean we, we have to like limit what we're talking about because uh, colossians 3 17 1 corinthians 10 31 romans chapter 14 verses 7 through 9 romans chapter 12 verse 1 all talk about th that worship is all of our lives in fact, Romans 14, 7 through 9 says, not only is our living worship, but even our dying is worship. It's all for the glory of the Lord. And so even as we're thinking about this, we have to really qualify what we're talking about as we talk about um, a worship. It, it, is, it is the spiritual discipline of corporate worship. And so um, as part of that, like, we need to make sure that we even, we're talking about what we're doing right now, Right? that we've gathered around Jesus Christ together. And even more than just what we're doing right now, specifically we're going to talk about a small sliver of that. We're going to talk about singing together songs of God's goodness and his greatness and his faithfulness and his kindness and his power, that that's all what we're talking about today. So that's the spiritual discipline we're talking about. If you would start by grabbing your Bibles today. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are some that are spread out throughout the seats. Uh, you can also grab your phone and open it up to praise.fyi today. Tap on message notes and you'll find all of the scriptures that we're going to be referencing along with an opportunity for you to take notes this morning. Even as you are gathering your phone and your Bible, um, if you don't own a Bible, we would just love for you to take that one that's in the seats and that'll be our gift to you. Uh, today we want everybody to be able to read through the scriptures for themselves and so once you have that set up rocking you have your bible open it up to colossians chapter 3 this morning colossians chapter 3 if you have one of the church bibles that'll be on page 984 colossians chapter 3 page 984 colossians chapter 3 984 we're going to start reading right at the very very beginning of that in verse 1 um and even as we do, I would just encourage you 
um, to just allow the Holy Spirit to open up your ears and to incline your hearts towards his word uh, this morning. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So this is really what we've been talking about during this whole series. Essentially what we've been talking about is that we want to make sure that our desires are set on the things that God has for us. We want our hearts to be inclined towards Christ Jesus. And it says here, listen, if you were raised with Christ, because you were raised with him, you should seek after him. You should look after the things that are above, not the things that are here on earth. He's seated at the right hand of God, so your mind should be focused on that. Your heart should desire that. So this is exactly what we're talking about. You should be inclined towards that. You shouldn't be inclined towards all the things we see here. We should be inclined towards the things that are above, because this is, this is the reality of your situation. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, who was crucified and risen again, then you also have been raised with him. And if that's the case, you should have your heart pointed towards him right? You should have your mind set on those things. He even continues on. He says, if you don't get that, verse four, uh, for you have, or verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He is letting us know your very life is hidden with Christ in God. Does it get any more treasury than that, right? Your very life is with Christ. And if your life is with Christ, all of our promise, all our hope is in Christ. Our very life is hidden in him. Then we should desire him. We should have lives that are hidden in him. And that naturally then as a result, we would seek those things that are above, that we would be inclined towards that place. Shouldn't we love Christ that way if our life is hidden in him? Because our treasures are in him. Even back in chapter 2, verse 11 um, of Colossians, uh, it talks about, or sorry, uh, chapter 1, verse, chapter 2, somewhere in there. Somewhere in there it talks about the fact that, oh, well, actually I think it's chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3, in whom are hidden, this is talking about Christ Jesus, that our hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding that the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that Christ is the treasure who becomes the source of all treasures for us, right? And if that's the case, if he's the treasure full of treasures, then our hearts should be pointed towards him, that he should be what we desire and all of these spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about so far are really just about getting our hearts set on Christ as our greatest treasure. That our eyes would naturally look to him and away from all the worthless things that we keep having a tendency to keep looking at. He says, he says these things are things that point our hearts towards Christ. And so he starts in Colossians chapter 3 and he says, set your mind on things above. And then he starts going through some some of the vices, right? And then he follows those vices with 
um, uh, virtues, right? So he goes through the vices, and then he goes through the virtues, and then he comes through all of those things, and he starts talking about exactly what it is that we're doing right now in verse 15. That's where we're really going to be today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Here's what it says. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Um, this passage is a passage really about our gathering together. Right before this, he talks about the fact that as we gather together, we should be doing it with unity and with harmony. But then he comes back and he says, but for that to happen, you need to have the peace of Christ ruling in your heart. Because if you don't have it in here, you won't have it out here. So if you are somebody who does not have the peace of Christ on the inside, then you cannot expect to have peace and harmony and unity with other people. What is happening in my heart will spill out of my heart and into the church. And so if you're the type of person that for whatever reason you always just have enmity around you, or if you're the type of person who always has drama around them, most likely that is an outspilling of the fact that you do not have the peace of Christ ruling in your heart. And that inevitably should lead to a question, at least for me, of why not? And so here it says, have the peace of Christ ruling in your heart. And that will work its way outward into the church. Because we're gathering together for a purpose. We're gathering together to be a body. I love my personal devotions. I do. What I love about my personal devotions is I get to decide what it is that I'm reading. And if... I get to decide what I'm reading, and I get to decide what I'm praying, and I get to decide what I'm singing in those personal devotions. It's a thing that's very personal for me. But I was made for more than that. I was made to gather together with other believers and in a mass of humanity, those who have been called and redeemed to sing to my God. And I don't get to control which songs are sung. And I don't get to control which, well, I guess I do get to control which verse is preached. I get to control some of those things, but a lot of it is outside of my control. And that's good. Why? Because it's not mine alone. It's all of ours together. And what he's saying here is that it has to start in our own hearts. The peace of Christ must rule here in order for it to continue outward. And as much as you love getting alone with God, that is such a good thing. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks is solitude and, and being in a personal place alone with God. As much as I love that, I was not just made for that. I was made to worship Christ with all believers. God didn't make us just to enjoy him for ourselves, but to enjoy him along with others. Even if you back up to verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11, it says, even as we've gathered together, it says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, by bar barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is what I love. What I love is the fact that we come from different backgrounds. 
And some of us are from great states like Wisconsin, and some of us from lesser states like Minnesota or Iowa or wherever that might be that you might be from. I'm so sorry, but it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is. It does not matter because Christ is all and in all, and we gather around him, and we're here to worship him, and that's what this is all about. We're one body together, but it cannot happen unless the peace of Christ is ruling in my heart first and in your heart as well. And together then there's unity and harmony and there's worship. And it says, and be thankful. And be thankful. At some point I want to do a whole series just on gratitude. But it can't be anywhere even relatively close to thanksgiving. Because if it's close to Thanksgiving, everybody goes, check mark, he's doing his Thanksgiving sermon series, right? But I think gratitude is, in fact, G.K. Chesterton said, and I think he said it better than I did or will ever be able to. He said, I maintain that thanks is the highest form of human thought. I maintain that thanks is the highest form of human thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. That's a good quote. I'm convinced that gratitude, the person whose mind is grateful, is someone whose battle for their heart is being won. Gratitude is one of those things that indicates how much the peace of Christ rules our hearts. Gratitude. The person whose mind is inclined towards that is somebody who is winning the battle for their hearts. Continues on here and it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I was reading this and this week my mind just stopped on this portion of the verse. And I couldn't go any further for a while. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I've committed myself to really just studying and reading and meditating upon just that phrase for this whole next week. Because when you look at this passage, you could point out the fact that the peace of Christ rules in our hearts as the word of Christ dwells in us richly. Or the peace of Christ rules where the word of Christ dwells. And I think you could just chew on that for a while and think about that. And that's one of the things that I was doing as I was chewing on this word of Christ dwells richly. I I kept thinking about the richness of it. And I stopped as I was reading this and I wanted to know what does it actually look like to have the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so what I did was I jumped over to Ephesians. If you don't know, Ephesians and Colossians were written at the same time by Paul at the same time. He sent them with the same letter carrier. And so often if there's something in one of those books that you're like, boy, I don't fully understand what this means or what he's trying to say here. What you can do is you can go over and look at the other one of those books and you can see what he says there. Because sometimes he'll say it just slightly different and it'll help you to get a good handle on what he's saying in one will help you to understand what he's saying in the other. So I was reading through this Colossians passage, and I'm like, what what does it actually look like for the word of Christ to dwell in you richly? And so I jumped over to Ephesians, because this same passage is talked about in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18, 17, 18, and 19. And there, the equivalent of 
the word of Christ dwelling in you richly, do you know what it is? Be filled with the Spirit. That's interesting, isn't it? Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly in Colossians is in Ephesians. Be filled with the Spirit. That somehow those two things go together. And I don't know yet how they do. That's what I'm going to read this next week and just study and dig into because I want to know more and more what that looks like. But I do know that where the word of Christ dwells richly, the peace of God rules over that heart. So this passage is reflected there and, and where it says, be filled with the Spirit. Here it says, be, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But really what I couldn't get past was that first word, let. Let it happen. Like the word of Christ wants to. And, and, and we just keep stopping it. Like the word of Christ is active and is at work and Jesus is that word of God and the word is God and he's the word of life. And when he speaks, his word is living and active and he shows you the path of life with his words and gives you hope and joy and peace and he's the only one with the words of eternal life. And as we let that dwell in us, being filled with the spirit, it will be richness to us. And I've got to dwell on that, that this week. I've got to meditate on that. I've got to think about that and allow the Holy Spirit to drive that deeply into me and richly. But what I love is the fact that it's tied together with the next phrase. Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, here's what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, we get to the core of this passage, which is really just about worship, singing. And as you're reading this, like, I read a bunch of what different people had to say about the difference between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and ultimately nobody knows, right? When it says hymns here, it's not talking about classic hymns. Spiritual songs, that's not talking about contemporary songs. That is, and the Psalms may be referring to the Psalms. We're not entirely sure. Nobody has any idea. But everybody's kind of guessing. What we do know is that the Colossians did know. Because when Paul says it, he says it to them. And they must have understood what he was talking about. What we do know is this. That this statement is saying that we are, listen to this. Because this is beautiful. That we are to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom with our singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You want to know how we know that? Because in that other passage in Ephesians, here's what it says. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. But be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that, making melody with our hearts to him. But wait a second. It says we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord addressing one another well wait a second i thought worship was to god how is it 
that in our worship, we are addressing one another with these songs? How is it that we are teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom with the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? And how does, through that, the word of Christ dwell in us richly? How are we filled with the Spirit in the midst of all of that? And here, I think, we better come to a spiritual, an understanding of our spiritual disciplines that really begins to grasp something that's beyond us to understand. And so we need the help of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit for your ears to be opened. I need the Holy Spirit to allow this word of Christ to dwell in all of us richly, okay? But here's the thing. Our worship trains our hearts on knowing and loving Christ. It's not just something that we do. It does something to us. I was reading a book this week about spiritual, dis- well, actually it was several weeks ago. I've been reading it again and again. I've gone back to it multiple times. And it's a book that I recommend. It's really very good. It's about spiritual disciplines. But all of the spiritual disciplines are not the things that I think of spiritual disciplines. It's, it's called Recapturing the Wonder by Mike Cosper. I highly recommend it. There's a link at the bottom of the message notes this week on praise.fyi with the link to that book if you want to read it. It's called Recapturing the Wonder by Mike Cosper. But here's the thing. So he brings up these spiritual disciplines, and as he brings them up, he kind of talks about what it is that we're trying to do. So one of his spiritual disciplines, and I love this because, boy, I, this is a spiritual discipline I could get into, is feasting. that that's a spiritual discipline. I'm like, well, God, if I have to, you know? Like, I guess I could beat my body and make it a slave, and and I could feast. But his idea is this, and I think it's really a beautiful thing. Here's what he says. And I mentioned this a couple weeks back on a Wednesday night. Jesus often compares the kingdom of God to a wedding feast, right? He compares it to a big feast, So Cosper says, what we should do is enact that intentionally. We should enact that, that our hearts might be inclined towards it. Those aren't his exact words, but that's essentially what he was saying. If Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like, we should make sure that the desires of our heart are for that very thing. So according to him, and again, this is not his words, but mine, just kind of summarizing it. We teach ourselves to long for the endless immensity of the sea by gazing at it and experiencing it. So he says, if Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a feast, you should get together with your friends and you should feast. And when he says feast, he means really feast. Okay, not gluttony, but you better not count calories. And you better eat carbs. This is what he said. And he said... And you better not allow anybody to touch their cell phones. And nobody is allowed to post it on social media, a selfie from it, that this is not about those things. This is instead about being in the moment together and gathering with that intention. And as you feast, he says, what will happen is your heart will desire it. Now, this is just a small and, and kind of dim reflection of the reality of what God has promised us. But even in the dim reflection, we will begin to desire the better banquet. 
If we have a banquet here, if we have a feast here, it will be dim and it's not the real thing. It will be imperfect and it will be weak, but it will focus our eyes on the things above. It will turn the eyes of our hearts away from worthless things and put them on his promises. I think it's a beautiful idea. And honestly, I think the idea of a feast is a good image for what we are doing right here. The picture of hunger is, I think, a picture of illustrating what our desire is for him. Hunger draws us back over and over and over again to the table, doesn't it? It always returns. We always want, we're hungry. Hunger is always the best sauce. Makes everything taste good. And God calls us to hunger for him. To constantly come back to him and be reliant upon the gifts of God. So back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. How do we, with all wisdom, address one another, admonish and teach one another in songs? Well, here's the thing. Our faith has always been a sung faith. In the Old Testament, you had armies that went out in worship, in singing. And in the New Testament, the disciples gathered with their Savior for the final time in song. If you remove all the singing and the songs from the Bible, it gets pretty thin. It's always been a sung faith. But if these spiritual disciplines are really a matter of painting for ourselves a picture that our hearts might be inclined towards it, isn't worship the same thing? As flawed and as imperfect as our Sunday gatherings might be, they are always the most true and real moment of your week. Because painted here is dim, but it is a reflection of eternity. Right now, in this place, with this gathering of people, we have an echo of the future. Because we are from different places, and we do have different backgrounds. And yet none of that matters because we have gathered around Christ Jesus. And he brings us together with that intention. And heaven is so much more incredible than we might ever dream. And it comes as a promise of much more that is to come after that. And the best image that you will ever have, the best foretaste of eternity, this side of it is the church gathered together focusing on Christ Jesus. With the peace of Christ ruling our hearts. 
Now, I'm not saying that the hope of eternity is like a never-ending worship service. That's not what I'm saying. It is so much more and so much better than that. But what you see here as one body in Christ Jesus, worshiping Christ together, is an image of the promised future. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, makes me want to desire what God has prepared for me. So as we gather together and we worship and we sing, these are glimpses that are imperfect and they're dim reflections, but our hearts learn to yearn for them. The scattered church has come together. We've gathered around Christ Jesus. And as we sing and as we worship, the signs of the kingdom of God are present here. So allow that to align your heart towards that, desiring it all the more. And as people around you are singing, I could not sing. There's too much on my heart. Too much weighing. But everyone around me was singing. I was worshiping with the gathered church. And that is a picture of admonishing one another, teaching one another with the songs of our faith. This is what we are doing as the kingdom of God. And this is we as a church gathering with this intention. And I would just encourage you. Don't let anything keep you from it. Let it dwell in you richly in the songs. Let your heart desire after it. Don't let bitterness or anger or selfishness or distractions or excuses take away from the fact that this is the image of God's promise to you. This is what you should desire. The kingdom of God gathered Lamentations chapter 3, verse 41. I love this passage. It's been in my heart just heavily of lately. It says, let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. This is what we do in worship. We lift up our hearts to God. Do you know what that's called? In Latin, lifting up your heart is called sursum corda. And at least as far back as 300 AD, possibly back even further than that, almost all the way to 100 AD, when the early church would gather, and still there are churches today which do it. It's called sursum corda. They begin with a call. And the person in front speaks out and says, Lift up your hearts. And then the church responds. We lift them up to the Lord. Right? We're called to seek the things above where Christ is and our life is hidden with him. This is what we're doing. We're lifting up our hearts to God. We're seeking to retrain our desires and reorient our inclinations towards him. And as we worship, we are admonishing one another towards the promises and the preparations of the kingdom of God. We are desiring what he has prepared. We're making our hearts want him more. The invisible is made visible. You know the thing that's really 
difficult about things that are invisible. This is, this is profound. You can't see them, right? It's really awfully difficult to see them. And so as part of our spiritual disciplines, what we are doing is we are making visible the invisible. That as we gaze at these things, our hearts turn towards them. And our hearts desire them. We make the invisible visible here by gathering. This is the kingdom in a dim reflection. Small glimpse. But it's, a, it's an image. Something that makes the invisible visible. And this is why spiritual disciplines must always be so much more than just self-improvement. Because if your spiritual disciplines are nothing but self-improvement, you've lost sight of what's truly important. Because I do not see in Scripture self-improvement. If you are trying to improve yourself, you've removed God from the equation. So if your spiritual disciplines are only self-improvement, you don't need self-improvement. You need the peace of Christ to rule in your heart. You need the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. This is what we need. To know Christ so much more. Anything else is just morality. And loses the whole point. So as we worship, what happens is the invisible becomes visible. We enact the kingdom of God and our desire for the kingdom grows. And as we gather, we are setting our minds on things above. So please, 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 don't see this room as a concert hall. See it as a banquet hall where we have gathered to feast on the kingdom of God and to desire it all the more. And as you begin to sing, you may not feel it, and that's okay. Because what is great is that as we make the invisible visible, as we enact the kingdom, our desire for that kingdom only grows. So don't come here just for intellectual input. Don't hope that maybe you'll just hear something that will give you a little uplift. Because if you need that, just go on YouTube and watch a sermon. Just watch a TED Talk. If you just need a little intellectual boost, there are other ways to get that hit. What we are doing here is we are gathering with the kingdom in mind and making the invisible visible. Not just that we would be intellectually changed, but that our hearts themselves would be raised to God and our minds would be set on things above, that our hearts would be inclined towards Christ Jesus and the treasures that we have in him treasures of wisdom and of life that we cannot come up with on our own. This is his promise to us. It's already ours in Christ Jesus. But do we desire it? Or are our eyes turning aside to worthless things? 
Because what we have done here today is we have gathered and we are enacting the kingdom of God. We are worshiping with the intention that even our hearts are changed to mean what we are singing. And it says, raise a hallelujah. That that begins in our hearts. That we are raising up our hearts to him in order that he might change our hearts as we desire the kingdom of God. This is why we gather to make visible the invisible. That the scattered church which is in exile and one day will not be any longer would be the desire of our hearts that we might see and know and realize his promises to us. That's what we're doing here today. That's why we're worshiping. That's why we're gathering. We're making the invisible visible that our hearts might want it. So if your heart doesn't want it, that's okay. That's okay. Lift up your heart to God. Lift them up to the Lord. And that even as you raise your hands to him, that your heart might follow. And if you don't feel it this morning, oh, be admonished. Hear the teaching that comes in song. You are as responsible to sing the gospel as I am to preach it. So sing it. Worship him. Sing the truth. This is all that he has done. And we are recipients of it. So let's worship him with that intention. Let's make visible the invisible. That the kingdom of God might be the desire of our hearts. And that he might be proud, as it says in Hebrews eleven sixteen, to be called our God. Because we have desired what he has prepared. And that is a thing of beauty. That's a thing of beauty. Would you stand with me? We're going to worship the Lord. And even as we worship him today, we're going to, I'll come back in a little bit and give you an opportunity for prayer. But first, I just want to worship him. And you may not feel it right now. Your heart might be broken. If you cannot raise your heart, just start with your hands. And just raise your hands to him. And as you raise your hands to him, maybe you would say, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I'm waiting on you today, oh God. Renew my strength today, oh God. Show yourself today, oh God. May the invisible be visible to me today, oh God. And may my heart turn towards you as I am exhorted by the songs of the gospel today. Raise a hallelujah. And if you can't raise a hallelujah, raise your hands. And God will raise your heart this morning. Let's worship him as the gathered kingdom. It may be dim. It may be a reflection. But it's what we got for now and is an echo of what will be. Let's worship him today as those who have been raised from the grave. Hallelujah, we praise you today. We raise a hallelujah today. We worship you today. God, exhort us with song 
and the God who sings over us and rejoices over us. Oh God, we join with you and we raise our hearts and hands to you today. Have your way in this place, we pray. May the kingdom become visible in the name of Jesus. So if you don't feel like death is defeated, sing it. You don't desire the kingdom. Sing it. If you don't really exalt him, sing it. For he is high and exalted. And as you sing it, your heart will follow suit. And if that death was too close, it hurts too much sing it because he has risen from the grave and because he has raised we are raised with him and are hidden in him so if you don't feel it if your heart's not raised to him just raise your hands raise your voice and your heart will follow suit and will be inclined towards him. God, today, right now, we just wait upon you. We wait upon you. There are so many things we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We turn them away from worthless things and turn them towards the kingdom today. God, may the invisible become visible all for your glory. All for your glory. And every time we gather, oh God, as the scattered and exiled church comes together. May we see the kingdom enacted. May we see the reality of it and desire what you have prepared. Desire what you have promised to us in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I always want to give an opportunity in our services, that if you do not know Christ Jesus, if you have not accepted him as your savior, I always want to give an opportunity for you to respond and pray. Because the word of God is very clear on this matter. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus Christ. It's not about how you were raised or living the way your parents taught you, it has everything to do with the fact that we are sinful. And in that sin, we are separated from God. And yet God provided for us a way in Christ Jesus, a way we could not find on our own. What we cannot do, he did. When we could not come to him, he came to us. 
And in Christ Jesus, we have been given salvation. But we must believe in our hearts that he is who he said he was, that God raised him from the dead, confess with our mouths that he is Lord of our lives, and we can be saved. This is the reality. It may seem invisible to you, but it's real. This is the gospel. So if you're in here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have an opportunity to today. The moment I'm going to pray, and as I do, I just want to invite you to pray along with me, and I'm going to, first off, put my faith in him, believe in my heart, not just saying it, but believing it, and then I'm going to confess him as Lord of my life, and I would invite you to do the same, and as you do that, as you put your faith in Christ Jesus, confess him with your mouth, you can be saved, and so I would invite you to do that along with me as I speak it out, speak it out along with me, you can receive salvation today because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for you, would you pray with me, Father, I thank you. I thank you that in all of these things, we cannot even begin to make our hearts clean. Who can say, I've made my heart pure, I am cleansed from all of my sin. I can't do that, oh God. And yet I can cry out to you in the name of Christ Jesus and all of my sin and all of my failings and all of the ways in which I am so corrupt and far from you. In Christ Jesus, those things are set straight. And so I thank you for the name of Jesus Christ, the only one in which we can gather, the only one in which we can receive salvation. And Father, right now, I thank you for that name of Jesus. I do believe in my heart that he's not sitting in the ground, but instead he has been raised from the dead. And as he was raised, I also am raised with him if I put my faith in him. So I believe in my heart that he has been raised from the dead. And I confess with my mouth right now that he is Lord of my life. I confess you are Lord of my life. You have it all. It's all yours. You sit on the throne. It's all yours. Father, I thank you for that salvation. And I thank you for the kingdom of God. Oh God, I thank you that we are a part of something that is so much bigger. And I thank you for my personal devotions and my time alone with you. But I thank you also for those who have gathered together in order to worship you and make visible what is invisible, oh God. Oh, may my heart crave it and desire it and want you and your promises and your preparations more and more each day. May I be inclined towards you, oh God, I ask. And I thank you for it. Thank you for your plan and your perfect plan, oh God, wherein the kingdom is made visible. And again, I pray for every person in here who is broken and hurting, those who could not sing, who barely were able to stand today. Thank you that they saw the truth of the kingdom, the invisible made visible. And oh Lord, I just pray that our hearts would more and more be inclined towards you.